Sugadarshini and a Pumpan Danamalan, a fourth-year dental student from AIMS University. I'm glad to be your host today. I hope everyone is doing well and please stay safe as the COVID cases are at an alarming stage. It is my utmost pleasure to introduce our special guest from Harris Academy, Mr. Daniel, one of the co-founder and also the director of Harris Academy. To join our second episode of the podcast entitled, What Can We Do About the Current Situation of Education and Equality Under COVID-19? Welcome, Mr. Daniel. I'm so excited for the discussion. Hello, everyone. So now, here comes the time to have a brief introduction of our local virtual volunteers from Sika Project. Can you please introduce yourself one by one before starting with our discussion for today? Yeah, I think I will come first. Hello and good morning to Mr. Daniel and the volunteers in today's podcast sections. Nice to meet you all. I'm Gladys, currently studying International Business Year 2 in University Uttara, Malaysia. Nice to meet you, Mr. Daniel. Nice to meet you. Uh, very good morning, everybody, to Mr. Daniel and all present here. My name is Ramnathan Ashwin. Uh, I'm from Nagari Samilan and currently I'm doing my degree at UUM. I'm a local virtual volunteer of the Speak Up Project. Happy to know you, Mr. Daniel. Happy to know you too. Hello, everyone. I'm Kumla Ravichandran. I'm from Pochong Selangor. Currently, I'm a second year student in Bachelor of Risk Management in Students in University of Termination. Nice to meet you, Mr. Daniel. Nice to meet you. Thank you, everyone, for the introduction. With that, let's get started with our episode two. Mr. Daniel, the first question will be asked by Kumla. So as we all know, the COVID-19 cases are increasing as it is going on. So the COVID-19 pandemic is exerting a huge toll on individuals, families, communities, and societies across the world. So daily lives has been profoundly changed. Economies has fallen into recession. And many of the traditional social, economic, and public health safety nets that people rely on in times of hardships have been put under unprecedented strain. So what are the strategies implemented for the control of COVID-19 pandemic? In terms of education or in general? In terms of education. Uh, so what has been done by the Ministry of Education uh, is to close schools, basically um, prepare schools for remote learning, uh, where the, the teachers, they have to prepare online lessons um, and find ways how they can best fit into the needs of the students in their school. So not every school is doing the same thing. Different schools are doing different things. And from the government's point of view, the schools would know better what is the way to help uh, students continue to learn and also to control the pandemic within schools. So in certain cases where we, we have moved into recovery MCO last year, when schools reopened, there were a lot of SOP procedures that were put in place in terms of making sure that students are all sitting apart. They don't go to recess anymore. So to avoid having to have heavy traffic in and out of the, the canteen. So students, they eat in the classroom. They have to bring their own food, things like that. And extra curricular activities are all like suspended. So then it minimizes the interaction between the students. Uh, so these are some of the strategies that were implemented uh, to control the pandemic in schools. And even in not just in schools, but any type of uh, education institution. Uh, I, I believe that in universities also, they have some sort of uh, procedures as well, including after-school lessons, after-school programs, like tuition centers. Even in Aros Academy itself, uh, we too have to adhere to SOPs 
in terms of uh, social distancing, physical distancing, in terms of hygiene, we make, we make sure that students, every time they enter into our center, they are, their temperature is taken, they sanitize their hands or they wash their hands. And every time that they leave their workspace, they have to wipe down their workspace so that it's sanitized again. So these are some of the strategies that implement to control the pandemic, the spread of the pandemic. So what uh, basically Mr. Daniel said is really true. During this pandemic, the economical health and other aspects of the nation has been hit hard, including education. Currently, Malaysia is undergoing its rejuvenation phase, whereby there are a lot of plans in line to be implemented to ensure our country is back in track. Speaking about the coronavirus itself, it has always been unpredictable. Several strategies have been implemented in terms of education sectors, what Mr. Daniel mentioned. Apart from education, we also have other strategies that the government has planned and has also implemented before this, such as the MCO, RMCO, CMCO, and EMCO. These are some strategies to curb this virus. And other strategies that we witness these days are the social distancing, the suggested applications for check-in, wearing a mask when in public places and constantly sanitizing. These are some strategies apart from education to prevent the widespread of disease. And of course, the utmost priority right now is vaccination. Uh, this is because vaccination proves to be the one strategy that shields the people from health constraints due to COVID-19. And not forgetting all the mighty standard operating procedures and there are many other strategies. Thank you, Mr. Daniel and Ashwin for this comprehensive answer. I'm very sure with proper implementation for the control of COVID-19, we'll be able to put a stop for this pandemic like the other countries do and get back to our normal education system. But it is very saddening to see our country being in lockdown for a very long time and it has clearly impacted many students in many ways and it brings us to the next question by Um, Thank you, Loga. Since the COVID-19 uh, widespread began, things have not been the same as how it was before. Uh, we have witnessed many changes especially changes in our daily life. Every citizen has to prepare themselves to face the current scenario. And I believe all the students are doing the same too. Based on your opinion, Mr. Daniel, could you briefly explain how the students are learning during this pandemic? The default way students are learning during this pandemic is through remote learning, what we call PDPR. And different schools do it differently. In some cases, even in the same school, some teachers do it differently with different classes. There are those that join live classes through Zoom or Google Meet. Uh, normally, these are the classes or schools that have students with better connectivity and also devices. So they can, they can design classes, they can, they can prepare classes in this way because they know the students can attend and, and come online whenever they are needed. And teachers, what they do in there, they share the slides, you know, they prepare their lessons into something like slides and uh, quizzes and exercises for the students to do during the call itself. And it's scheduled uh, from time to time. Uh, and the amount of time that students are doing remote learning like this would be from morning until about 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And if students do not have good internet or devices, they normally would be absent during the live sessions or the live classes. However, uh, they are in like chat groups, messaging groups like uh, WhatsApp or Telegram and teachers will send over exercises, questions in there so that they uh, can still keep in touch uh, but it's not as uh, detailed or as comprehensive as a live class. So it's like a bare minimum kind of remote learning that happens. There's not much guidance that happens. What teachers do is teachers give the questions 
teacher also give the answer straight away so then the students try themselves. If students do not have any internet connection or devices, they are really cut off from the world. They are left to themselves. There are times where I can see, you know, on the way to work, I can see uh, back then when we still can go to office, you know, kids during times when they are supposed to be at home learning, they are seen, you know, like loitering around, you know, on their bicycles and playing around because they just have no means to be to communicate and contact and connect with their teachers and the school. Uh, so a lot of students actually fall into this category. Uh, when there was a study done last year, about 30% of students do not have access to any device, whether it's smartphone or laptop. So depends on the school. If the school is proactive enough, the school will prepare some form of uh, lesson packs, learning packs uh, that they actually distribute out to, the, to these students, you know, uh, drop it off at their homes on a weekly basis or something like that. Or the students come to school and collect it at the gut house. These are some of the ways how students are learning during this pandemic. Yeah, what Mr. Dabir sharing just now is uh, really cool. The lockdown and social distancing measures due to the COVID-19 pandemic have led to closures of school, training institutes and also higher education facilities in most countries, including our Malaysia. As what Mr. Daniel shared just now, students learn through various online platforms. Me, as a university student, I have an opinion to share with you guys how we learn in this pandemic. So, except just learning what the lecturer teach us in the online platform, uh, we need to do extra study and reading research on our own from our Mr. Google time by time. I have to admit that during research time has been increasing compared to the face-to-face -face, uh, lesson before the pandemic. Because all the written assessment has been cancelled during the online learning. So there are more project tasks or assessments that are given to us by our lecturer. Before the pandemic happened, most of us rely on the lecturer notes or textbook. But in this pandemic, what we can do to improve our understanding is just keep on research. And from there, we learn extra knowledge too. Yeah, so this is one of my learning situations during this pandemic. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Daniel. And that's it, ladies. By doing our own research, we are getting extra knowledge. That's very true. And yes, as we know, online learning is the only way to keep the students in touch with their studies. And I'm grateful for the advances of technologies for this very important reason. But we must understand that it is not convenient to sit in front of the laptop for a very long period of time. And it can bring a lot of mental and also health problems to the students. Therefore, we can see that learning time has decreased tremendously. And it seems like Nadis has a question for this. Over to you, Nadis. So, Mr. Nadir, according to the situation now, the school lockdowns that started in the spring of uh, 2020 reduced instructional and learning time, which are known to impede student performance with disparate impacts on different groups of students. So do you think that the decreased learning time has slightly impeded student learning? I would say definitely. Uh, of course, less time learning will slow down students' uh, education. They won't be able to cover the syllabus and things like that uh, and learn what is necessary for, for their education. We also need to consider other types of learning a school provides, not just the formal instruction that the students receive in the school, in the class. There's also co-curricular activities you know, that actually it forms the holistic part of a student's education. The kind of uh, interaction that they have doing activities, the, the social communication, the social collaboration that they have with their friends in school is also a form of learning. Learning how to 
the people, you know, having social skills, that is also something that is missing because of the lack of time in school and remote learning by themselves. Students also miss the opportunity to collaborate with their peers in projects, in an engaging way, uh, in different, different activities. A lot of it now is through online, which may not be very meaningful and interactive for the students. And the time that is, the time that is expected of the students to actually learn uh, in during remote learning is prioritized for formal learning. So whatever time that the school has set as uh, this is the time that you need to be online, you need to be active in learning, uh, is maximized for formal learning. So a lot of co-curricular activities, even though the ministry says, you know, that it still needs to be done, are not being done in school because the school wants to prioritize the syllabus, the curriculum. So, you know, having all of these things combined together, these kind of factors, it does slow down students' learning growth uh, in many ways uh, to prioritize other important parts of their education. Absolutely uh, agree, Mr. Daniel, when it comes to this matter. Uh, right now, every single student in Malaysia is attending classes through virtual means. The expectation through virtual classes are the same as what is expected during physical or face-to-face classes. But the reality is that the outcome is not what everyone wants. Learning time is not fulfilled at all instances when it comes to online classes due to various reasons. You don't attend classes as how it should be attended, then you're not going to achieve the objective of learning. This has been a common situation for students in this pandemic period. Some students do enjoy the decreased learning time, but they have to realize it is actually a drawback for them as they might have to deal with struggles to prepare themselves for something that is not covered in class due to impeded learning time. Percent true, Mr. Daniel and Ashwin. It is undeniable that education is a very powerful weapon which could change anyone's life. But with the decreased learning time, students must be really having a very hard time. So, with that being said, I'll let Gladys to put forward her message. Hey, thank you, Loka. Uh, Mr. Daniel, as we know, the pandemic led to the closure of schools. Students are not going to school and they're just learning at home. Based on these situations, what should we expect the consequences to be? We need to accept that not going to school, not having enough time, uh, learning and all that, is that chasing the syllabus should not be a priority. We need to we need to accept that reality, uh, that in the next few years, there is this slow process that the students are trying to catch up on and we shouldn't try to push students to follow that scale again, follow that rate of learning. Again. So whatever that is there in the syllabus, you know, teachers should prioritize what are important essential learning for the students and we we just need to accept that you know students are not going to learn as much as what they used to and how they used to learn it in school in some cases uh, whatever metrics that we use to measure student excellence and achievement in exams or in competitions uh, all have to be adjusted accordingly. We we cannot directly compare again. Uh, for example, recently we a few months ago when we released the the results of SPM achievement in the school in in the country. This is an example of where we cannot directly compare what is the SPM results achievement versus what we used to do when we had physical schools. A lot of factors are in play here, and the numbers and and the measurement cannot be standardized in that way anymore. So there needs to be different ways of assessing students and consider different kind of factors because some students who are deserving are from un- un- underserved communities who don't have enough opportunities who don't have enough capacity uh, as as they are much better off peers uh, they will be missing out in terms of university enrollment or scholarships you know which actually makes it harder and it compounds their disadvantage 
So these things are some of the consequences that, that can happen. Not just in terms of the education side of things, we also need to consider the kind of consequences to students, uh, children's social emotional health, their psychological health, right? Now, there will be an increase of students who experience poor mental health right now. If it's not addressed, it can affect students in the long term because this is a very unfamiliar territory, unfamiliar world that they are experiencing right now. And it's safe to assume that all students are facing some sort of stress and they really need help to cope with these abrupt changes around them. I think it's certainly totally right about that. School closures have very real impact on students, but most especially on the most of vulnerable ones were most likely to face additional barriers. Children and youth from low-income, single-parent families, and also those with special education needs by being deprived of physical learning opportunities, social and emotional support available in school and extra services such as school meals. And according to the Sarawak Teachers Union, they warned that students' normal routines have been disrupted and they have been forced to avoid social contact which may lead negative psychological outcomes. They reported that an organization helping with mental health issues, which is Refenders Vulnerable, had received around 30% increase in calls and any person of that are those related to the NCO. Thank you, Mr. Daniel and Kumuda for pointing out the consequences. Well, that is the bitter truth that we need to keep in our mind. And I hope the parents will be more understanding and will stop pressuring their children to score the best report. As the time is also difficult for them, be kind as we don't know what's happening in someone's life. And other than these problems with children not going to school, here comes a doubt on the effectiveness of online learning. And it seems like Gladys wishes to ask a question regarding over to you. Okay, thank you, Loga. Okay, uh, business Daniel, as we can see now, our pandemic has bring us to a new norm and we also started to use to it. And uh, now every students are used uh, online learning method. And I would like to ask your opinions on uh, do you think online learning is as effective as conventional one online learning can be as effective or more effective than conventional one but at the same time it can also be less effective teachers who organize and plan online learning experiences for the students really need to invest in designing and engaging experience for their students this is not a trained skill or or uh, an innate experience that the teachers have because this is something that wasn't really a need. It was more of a, a bonus if a teacher does have such a, such a skill, right? So they will need to upskill themselves, go for courses, get trained. You know, schools need to provide some sort of training for, student, uh, for the teachers to prepare them so that they can create creative online learning experiences that are engaging, meaningful to the students and even more engaging than physical learning because we have to compensate for the lack of physical interaction that, that is lacking in online learning. There are tools that can benefit teachers greatly when teaching online which can become a plus point uh, because there is a lot of digital information that is created when you do online learning. Like your assignments are submitted online. If you do quizzes, you know, you can grade easily. You don't have to mark every paper by hand again. You know, so there, there is a lot of digital information that can be utilized to improve learning and assessment. There is this good principle that that, you know, we try to tell teachers is that data drives instruction. So a lot of this can, can be data that helps inform them what works and what doesn't work in their instruction. You know, teachers at the end of a class can quickly give out a feedback form. How was today's class? Give a rating. You know, this is something that is not commonly done in a physical class. You know, in a physical class, the school bell rings, the teacher just leaves. Teacher doesn't check how was the class experience with the students. So 
with a digital online learning experience like this, you know, a lot of opportunities are, are there for teachers to improve the learning experience for the students. I agree with Mr. Daniel. When we look into the current situation, education has changed dramatically with the rise of e-learning, whereby teaching is undertaken remotely and also on digital platforms. And conventional and online learning institutions both have their advantage and disadvantages. But one thing for sure, the demand of online education is on the rise due to COVID-19. Whereas the traditional classrooms have some positive social aspects that can be lost in some online virtual learning environments. So traditional face-to-face classes provide teachers with opportunities to have more personal interaction with the students. But when you're evaluating on online classes versus traditional classes, it's more important to consider our own unique learning style and also scheduling needs. That's very true, Mr. Daniel. Teachers play a very crucial role in making sure the effectiveness of online learning and yes, feedback forms can be useful as tools to evaluate and improve their teaching as well. And as Umuda mentioned, there's always pros and cons in everything. But in this pandemic situation, the pros of online learning outweighs the cons. So it is important to ensure that the learning process is done effectively. And let's listen to the following question by Kumuda. Thank you, Loga. So the current COVID-19 pandemic has, is having a profound impact not only on people's health, but also on the education sector. During the COVID-19 pandemic, disruption to education system adversely affected the most advantaged disadvantaged students, increasing pre-assistant inequalities with potential catastrophic and long-term consequences. So, Mr. Daniel, how is the COVID-19 exacerbating the opportunities gaps in terms of education sector? Uh, the gap between who have access and who does not have access because of COVID-19 is increasing. It's more apparent. Before the pandemic, it may not be as apparent, uh, but it's there. But with the pandemic right now, it's brought out and people can see for themselves what those gaps are. And it is directly affecting students. Schools in all this while have been a great equalizer for many students. This is where a lot of students who have no access to the outside world uh, rely on schools because the schools provide information and knowledge that, that comes from the school or the teacher. Right? So when schools close, many students are actually cut off from this opportunity, cut off, and they are hard to reach out to. Teachers also, every time in school, what happens is that any opportunity that comes a teacher's way, the teacher will be thinking of the most obvious students that they can think of. You know, It's not something that is like, let's see a name list and see who we want to share this opportunity with. So normally, students who are more connected to the teachers will always benefit a lot. So if any student in school have that equal opportunity as well to take that kind of effort. But without school opening, everyone is online. Not everyone is online. Those, those that actually don't benefit and will their disadvantage will continue to grow. And even if we come out of this pandemic, we will see the effects of this continue to grow between those who have support and those who don't over the years. So this is something that is a long-term effect that won't disappear right away after we have reached, you know, like immunity, herd, herd immunity or, or schools have reopened. This effect will carry on for a few years. You cannot deny what Mr. Daniel has said. COVID-19 has left a negative impact almost in every aspect and one of the negative impacts is exacerbating the opportunity gaps. Uh, since we are fo- more focused towards education, I'll touch on that. Even before the pandemic started, there were opportunity gaps in the education sector. The underprivileged students did not have the equal opportunity to learn as as they appears. They needed financial assistance and many other forms of help for them to perform well in their education. The COVID-19 disaster
investor created a larger breach of opportunity gaps. Almost everyone in Malaysia were financially affected due to COVID. Even people in urban areas had to deal with many difficulties. So imagine about the people in the rural areas. In this situation, you can't expect students from the underserved community to have access to a proper device and internet connection to attend online classes unless if they are being helped by someone else. When you're not able to attend classes, you're not able to study or learn, and as a result, you don't perform well in any examinations or tests. And there are more repercussions coming at students when they're not able to score. It becomes a chain of effect at the end of the day, and dreams does not turn into reality for these students. And as for their peers, they might be succeeding or achieving wonders out there. So as time passes, I hope there will be a solution to these opportunity gaps, especially in terms of education. I have to admit that Mr. Daniel and he have shared on point not everyone has the high-speed broadband required for the online exam. And if this continues for a lengthy period of time, such differential echoes our most disadvantaged students to large barriers to advancement and also a future of income deprivation and also economic stagnation. Even more tragic, there may be a tipping point beyond which the gap is no longer recoverable. And Ashwin would like to ask a very important question in relation to... For the past few weeks, the number of reported cases are increasing day by day and it is nothing less than a worrying situation. In the midst of uh, such a catastrophic period, do you think school reopening in September is a wise decision? Over to you, Mr. Daniel. I would say there are many factors, a lot of variables to consider before reopening schools. But the basic principle here is that there should not be any blanket ruling that, that, would, that would instruct the schools whether to open or close all at the same time. Among many things, I think the thing that we need to consider is what is the local situation within the school area that will inform the school's decision whether to open or not. So school districts at the very least, which is something more localized, should have the autonomy over school reopening. Any decision that has to be made has to rely on data and evidence to determine you know, what if, if the factors that is required are fulfilled? For example, the rate of vaccination of student teachers and everyone that is involved in a school, you know, it can it needs to also cover people who transport students to school, like bus drivers and van drivers, to the people in the canteen, to the cleaners, everyone has to be vaccinated. Not just that, but also we need to consider the rate of infection within the community around the school. So that, among many other things, are factors that need to be considered on the local level before we can consider reopening schools. So it depends on the situation. It depends on the location. There could be certain instances where some schools are qualified and ready to open in September and other schools are not ready. So we shouldn't have a blanket decision to open schools in September. Uh, wow, uh, the idea that Mr. Daniel shared with us is uh, really interesting. Uh, as we know, with uh, less than three weeks to go, the school will be reopened. Uh, but what we can see is the total cases of uh, COVID-19 in Malaysia still at the range of 20k. In this serious and also an unsafe condition, I think the education ministry have to reconsider to let children back to school. Now, not only the COVID-19 virus, the presence of Delta, Delta Plus and Lambda variants are now in Malaysia too. Even though now the citizen is getting vaccinations, but according to education minister, Datuk 
Dr. Razi Zidin says that as at 7 of August, 85.41% of teachers nationwide has received their first vaccination shot. From that, 94.89% are those who teach exam year classes. So the data are not even reached 100% yet. So therefore, I have to admit that there is a risk for the students and teachers. Also, the possibilities of them infecting students as school students have yet to be vaccinated. Uh, school reopening in September is not a wise decision as that can threaten the health and safety of students, teachers, and families as well as the community. Yeah, that's my point that I would like to add on on these questions. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Daniel and ladies for your valid reasons. Hope our Ministry of Education will take all the portions before considering the school reopening. And here comes my next question, Mr. Daniel. What are the steps that schools should be taking in response to this situation? In what situation? pandemic situation so that our students can go back to the school and have their normal education. Okay. Uh, on, on the ground, what the schools can do is, what it, the schools are quite limited in what they can do because a lot of help is needed on the national level uh, by the Ministry of Education, by the State Departments, but on the school level, uh, they, they can try their best to, to plan and, and design a new or an updated way of uh, learning for the students. Uh, information and learning should be differentiated more than ever uh, for different needs of the students. So prior to the pandemic, if a school does do some form of differentiation in learning, meaning like the same learning objective for different classes are taught differently so that it can be aligned to the students' needs. Uh, better off classes who are more academically inclined, you know, they can have a different way of learning. But students who are not so academically inclined, they have different passions and interests, they need to be taught differently. However, during this pandemic, not just how the students are being taught, but in the different modes of learning needs to be planned out as well. You know, some the, the same lesson objective needs to be taught in like a, a live lesson, in a chat messaging, mes messaging group, or even in a printed lesson copies. You know, all these things needs to be planned out with the teachers. So teachers should collaborate, like a whole panitia kind of thing, where they create different lessons for online classes, online messaging platforms, physical guidebooks and lesson packs for the students so that every student at different types of needs all can learn the same thing, right? So even if a student missed the live lesson, they can catch up because the lessons are uploaded for them to do in their own time or the lessons are sent to their houses. So no students are left behind in this sense. But this takes a lot of effort from the schools, a lot of initiative from the schools. Schools should also be working on upskilling teachers and administrators to meet the needs of their students. They need to understand the community that they are in and making sure that they are providing the right service and the right approach to the community. There are many amazing uh, examples on social media of uh, teachers and schools going above and beyond in trying to help their students, you know, by going into the jungle to bring lessons uh, like workbooks and, 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 and stationaries and all kinds of things to the students. They print out lessons that they put it into the house into, into the school in like pigeonholes where the students come and pick whenever they are free you know so 
there are many creative ways how tools can help uh, in this pandemic. It takes a lot of effort. It takes proactivity uh, and it takes uh, self-initiative as this is what uh, is expected of the schools by the ministry as well. Yeah, I agree with uh, what Mr. Daniel respond to this question just now. And uh, But I would like to add some point, extra point, some step that schools should be taking uh, when come to the school reopen situation. Like uh, the school the communication with parents and schools, also the crucial step that schools should do to keep students and parents informed about the measure being implemented to ensure their collaboration and support. As what I observed from the situation nearby, my house area during the school open on few months ago, when the parents pick up their kids after school, many parents are queuing outside the school doors. Before the kids finish their lesson, the parents are standing social distances. But when come to the school door open, uh, the situation will become a mess because all parents are busy to pick up and calling for their kids' name. So I think a well-planned and also a good communication with the parents and school are important, like, uh, such as the group chat created by school. And I think not only effort done by school, it has to be two ways. Parents also must be giving the corporations uh, to school. This is what I think of. Thank you. And I will pass the floor back to Loga. I would like to add another point in what schools can do. We, we also need to consider the well-being of the students and schools need to play an important role in this, um, in taking care of the well-being of the students. Um, we have we have counselling teachers in school, you know, uh, and, and a lot of a lot of resources and support needs to be given to the counselling department of the school to, to reach out to students who need help and to encourage students to seek help uh, whenever they're facing any issues and problems and, and the level of professionalism that is needed from this counselling department needs to also improve to really help in response to the pandemic. Thank you, Mr. Daniel, for the strong points and suggestions. I believe schools should be taking well-organised steps in order to make sure a continuous learning process is happening to all of them. Thank you, Longa. The COVID-19 pandemic has resulted in at least one positive thing, which is a greater, much greater appreciation for the importance of public schools. The strong and inclusive public education system are essential to the short and long-term recovery of society, and there is also an opportunity to overtake towards power-up schools, schools to the centre of community, and leverage the most effective partners, including those emerging during COVID-19, to help learners to grow and develop a broad range of skills in and out of school. However, it is possible to realistically envision education emerging from novel coronavirus pandemic stronger than it was before. I would say definitely possible to envision a better education outlook for our country. Um, we cannot go back to the usual way of doing things that is comfortable and normal before the pandemic. What wasn't working? What are some of the issues that have been plaguing our system needs to be fixed? And this is a good opportunity to do that. For example, taking care of students' welfare, social well-being. You know, this is an area that is often neglected by schools uh, as schools are always chasing the school ranking and the school achievement, uh, but not really taking care of the well-being of teachers and also the students in school. So this is an area where, you know, that needs to have a reset, needs to have a rethink and needs to be integrated into the education plan by the ministry. In, in this pandemic as well, like, there are 
instances where the community gets involved with the school. There is some collaboration that happens on the ground between the school and the community and this needs to further strengthen uh, because education, the responsibility of education is not only on the schools to bear, it's also for the community to take to take part in and also with the pandemic here you know we have seen the potential that is in online learning its advantage and also its disadvantage so any implementation of it needs to continue in line with physical lessons that will resume back in school after the pandemic implementation of uh, some hybrid learning where they have digital devices that they are using in school and outside of school so that they can continue learning uh, because a lot of students what happened is they only receive education when they step foot in school Anytime they are absent, anytime that they don't come to school for some reason, they actually lose learning time. They will be at a loss compared to their friends. So any form of hybrid learning is really important moving forward so that no child gets left behind. And we have also seen how we can reach out to students as differently as as in in various forms. And this needs to be maintained as well. The level of connection and the level of interaction that we have with the students. So many areas, you know, this this is just on the ground, but, you know, systemically, you know, there there can be more resets that we can do. You know, we have been having problems with teacher placements, the teacher matching by the number of teachers being trained in schools for the subjects that they are trained in to the available positions in the school. All of these things need, you know, needs to be really planned out so that we can come out stronger in this uh, pandemic. In this very true, Mr. Daniel, and I always believe that nothing is impossible. So let's hope to see a quick recovery on this matter and to have a stronger education system than ever before. And I just wonder, what can we do about the current situation of education and equality under COVID-19? Mr. Daniel, do you think there's a solution for the current situation of education and equality under COVID-19? There's, all, there's a saying where we say it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, and it is especially true in this pandemic, you know, to to safeguard and to take care of every child and their needs in their education. Uh, it takes everyone. What we personally can do ourselves is to really be part of that community. Not to isolate ourselves from the problem, but to be part of the solution. For example, keep in touch with your neighbours. You know, find out how their children are learning. How are they coping? Ask if there's any way that you can support them. You know, you can plan and organise initiatives, bring in people that you know of, uh, bring in resources that you can access and really help your community. I think if everybody were to do anything that they, they can in their capacity, the world would be so much better for. As what Mr. Daniel said, all of us should be playing our role instead of just pointing our fingers at the others. It reminds me of a wise word from Mahatma Gandhi, be the change you wish to see in the world. So let's do our part wholeheartedly. And with that last question, our podcast episode, episode 2 is coming to an end. So before ending our episode 2, is there anything you wish to tell Mr. Daniel? I'm just going to repeat again the, the last thing that I've mentioned just now is that be, be a responsible citizen. It, it's okay if you yourself you know, have needs that you need to meet, but if you have something that you can spare to other people, whether it's your energy, your time, or your money, or your resources, and or you know, whatever it is, your, 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 your brain power, you know, it can be anything. Do something. Add value in other people's life. The, the effect can really greatly multiply. There is a huge multiplier effect if everybody, you know, were to do were to add value into somebody's life and experience and we are all much better off you know if we help each other thank you so 
much Mr. Daniel for the deep and kind words. So let's add value to someone's life and do our part. Yeah, lastly, I would like to thank each, um, each one of you for joining us today. It was indeed a mind-boggling discussion for me and I believe the same goes to our local virtual volunteers as well. I hope all of you enjoyed the productive discussion today and thank you for